Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And to be clear, it's all a lie. We haven't taken a walk in months, and this is Zoom, and my heart is sad. <laughs> but, yes, and the cases are continuing to go up in North Carolina, and um, I never would have thought that we would be at this place in July, right? Yeah, um, with no end of sight. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, you know, by June, okay, we'll be on not quite on the other side, but close to the other side, but we are nowhere near the end, it seems. No. And I I really um I I could despair at the idea that we ever get on the other side of this, which I, I know that isn't, you know, as, as unreasonable probably as it was to believe that by June we'd be over it to now swing to the other end and say, how do we ever get over it is also not rational, but it's hard. It's hard yeah. to be rational. Um, well, that actually leads me to um, what's astonishing me right now. Um, I had a conversation with my ministry coach yesterday, um, Tom Bandy, who is always wonderful, insightful, and blows my mind. And um, we were just talking about worship and being church and doing church in this season. And he is noticing a trend, uh, both in Canada and the US, in churches that are oriented around socializing and fellowship, the trend that he is seeing is that now that so many of us have moved to online worship, the initial energy around that is starting to die down and congregations are losing people, that people are becoming increasingly disengaged uh, when it comes to online worship. Um, and I have felt that, I, I've sensed it, um, and I thought maybe it was just our congregation, or I thought maybe it was just my preaching, but he confirmed for me, and I, I didn't bring up the subject, he did, but he said, we're, we're beginning to lose people and people are beginning to find it kind of boring, you know? And initially it was, okay, we have quarantine, but I can still see my yeah. church. I can still see my church sanctuary. I can still see my pastor. I can still see the musician. Yeah. And now um, that um, initial novelty, novelty has worn off. And, um, and so churches are asking, well, the problem is churches are not asking what what's next. He's asking what's next. And so um, he's saying what he's noticing. He's like, there's not a lot that we can do when you're not gathered physically in the space in terms of being innovative. But he's saying what he's noticing is that some churches are beginning to experiment with worship as almost talk show model. So that it's it's a, a worship in the model of a talk show, uh, 
so maybe pastor is at a desk or sitting in a comfortable chair. Oh, wow. Yeah. Instead of, imagine a Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon. And so there's kind of an opening, like when you tune in, you know, the band roots, they play something, you know, initially, and then there's a a short monologue, right? He says 15, 20 minute sermons are way too long online. Um, And you know, that hurt my heart, right? is it, and pastors who are experimenting are, are doing like short five minute uh, pieces. And then um, if they have the ability, like if they're doing Facebook, Facebook Live, interact with people live, some are, you know, like taking phone calls and interacting with people and then do another kind of five minute whatever uh, in response or continuing what they started before. But it's, it's just a different format. He's saying what... We're losing people trying to replicate the Sunday morning liturgy in video format. And I took some time to look at our YouTube analytics, and our average worship video is about 40 minutes. And I'm noticing, um, according to the data, people are only watching about 15 minutes of the video. That's about average. Um, and so they're, they're just not tuning in or staying tuned for the whole video. And so, um, you know, I, I left that meeting <laughs> or we ended the zoom call and I just sat back in my chair and, you know, one of my first thoughts was people like you and me are really just at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the kind of change the church needs to make in this season. We, you know, you and I have talked about, okay, we're, we're in this moment, this cultural moment, this quarantine moment as requires um, leadership and the church has to adapt. And I think we're, we're really just at the beginning of that. And what's going to be required of us um, is, is bigger than we realize. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm always very hesitant of my resistance to something that's scary. So I'll just put that out there. Um, but what's hard for me is I just think that the work that disciples of Jesus Christ need need to do in the world right now, um, the 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 ways, the postures of faithfulness that we need to take, I am not sure that we can grow the depth of spiritual maturity, that we can um, establish a kingdom worldview and kingdom vision and kingdom commitment in five to 10 minute segments. And so the reality is, I mean, I don't question at all the idea that we need to adapt and shift um, what we do to engage um, in the, you know, um, by in the tech through the technology and through the resources that we have, right? Like I I understand that, but I also just think that you know there's there's some truthfulness in adapting and being honest with people and saying like I get that you lose attention after five minutes and I am not trying to like shame you for that. 
but I also am saying like this this is this is problematic <laughs> like I mean there has to be a way and I mean it doesn't have to be through me or through the grove but like I think it's it's um it is not reasonable to expect to be able to navigate all of the powers and principalities that as they are passing away are rising up in fury with with wisdom and strength and maturity if what we the the amount of time that we're devoting to the nurture of our souls is you know five minute chunks right i, I so i just um I don't know. Like, I, I just, I mean, you were the one who was referencing the spiritual about like everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. Like, I mean, the reality <laughs> is like, if we see what the stakes are, I mean, like, I get it. Like, I just think, I mean, in this, whatever, I'll just jump the track and say, um, what I'm thinking about this week is I've, I've been studying this, this um, practice resurrection book by Eugene Peterson, which is his treatment of Ephesians with two different small groups in, in, my church. And I mean, it's not a light read. Um, and, you know, but one of the points that he makes, which is, which is great. And it, and it, I mean, he's treating the text, but then he's also, um, just talking about like how we, you know, what its implications are for whatever 21st century American Christians. And, and one of the things that he says is that like, we are in a place and it's, and it's very, it's exactly similar to the place where the early Christians are, which is like, Paul was constantly, you know, the, the writer of the epistle is constantly warning about like that this, this empire culture, you have to resist it, right? You have to resist the culture of the empire because it is not the culture of the kingdom. And, and Peterson is saying, I mean, and obviously the letter was written in a time where, you know, there was just overt hostility between the empire and those believers who we're following Jesus, but we all know that there came a next strategy, which is, you know, there, the empire just adopted, um, the religion and, and we are in living in the American empire. And Peterson's point is like, look, most American churches are hybrids, right? Like, and if you think about like a donkey is a hybrid creature, so it's like a mule and a horse and, and sometimes hybrids, are great biologically, you know, they can have more resistance or more flourishing or more, you mean, they can have desirable qualities, but some hybrids are bad. Like they, they lose the best thing of both of their progenitors and they are sterile, you know? Mm -hmm. And Peterson's point is like, most American churches are hybrids of Jesus and American values. And it, it is, bad. Um, I mean, that most Christians believe and, and there's some, and, and in lots of ways, it's really unfair because it's not their fault because they've been explicitly taught that, you know, um, the, the goal on earth is, you know, to, to achieve a modicum of success and financial stability and good health and Jesus is, you know, this, the, the hedge around your life to make sure you get that and, or, and, or the spiritual, you know, boost to help you when you don't get that. And, 
you know, that's, you know, Jesus cares about individual you and your comfort and safety and health. And also bonus, no matter what you get to go to heaven when you die. And like Christians have been taught that in the American church and just taught that the American dream and the gospel are the same thing. Or, or at the very least, they've been taught that there's no conflict of interest mm-hmm. between the American dream, which is work hard and you will be wildly successful, and the gospel. And that's just not true. And the hybridization is really not successful. But so many people have just been malformed a version of the gospel that they have come up under. And we just really need to, like, not to bash America because it's not particular to America. It's just like what happens when there's a certain amount of power and worldly success. Like, you know, I didn't say that Jesus did. (laughs) Like it's very hard to enter into the kingdom of heaven when you have lots of power and lots of autonomy and very few felt needs and lots of money. And so you know, I just have been thinking about that a, a lot that, um, you know, and, and it's hard to do. It's hard to thread the needle because I, I want people to understand that, like, God so loved the world. I mean, there's, there's in no sense, does God hate America or hate Americans? Um, and, you know, the people, no matter where they're trapped in the system, are, are just of ultimate worth and value to God. And there are no garbage people, but these systems are, are, destroying lives and you know you know it is not okay according to the gospel to succeed in business without really trying if that means you're crushing the necks of the people who are vulnerable to your power and authority and so you know, I just, I've just been thinking, thinking about that a lot. And just as, as you watch people navigate everything that's going on, that's so visible in our culture right now, if it's the pandemic or if it's racial justice issues, it's just really hard to see people who are, who are, who understand the kingdom well enough to be able to take a kingdom posture that is distinctive from either side of the culture war. Um, But not a, not a kingdom. Po- I mean, I think sometimes we think that it means like, oh, a kingdom posture means I don't, you know, I'm above all of this, or I've got no stake in this, or it's not my problem, or I don't need to, like, I don't need to choose a side. And, you know, when people are dying, disciples of Jesus Christ need to choose a side to bring life to vulnerable people. So, but I mean, we do that the way we do that is through the values of the kingdom. The way we speak is through the values of the kingdom and it's different. Let me ask you this question. Do you see in, in the example um, uh, my coach gave, do you see the compromise in the area of, of church as talk show, the, the model itself or the amount of time? Like well, five I mean, minute I, segments. Right. Like, I think there's a million ways to be faithful Mm -hmm. and proclaim the gospel, like just a million ways. And so I don't have a problem with the model per se, unless the reason it exists is the felt need of, of people being like, I'm bored, dazzle me. Because I think to sort of present it as though 
one's comfort and pleasure is of paramount interest to Jesus is super dangerous. But I mean, like, I totally get if what we're saying is people are, are under just tremendous emotional, psychological, spiritual stress, and they're zoomed out and they're overwhelmed. And so how can we, you know, how can we do the work we need to do in like creative energizing way? Like I, like, amen, like we need to do what we need to do to present the whole, you know, the whole beauty of the gospel to people. Um, but I mean, we just, I mean, as we see all the time, like I, I think some of the big resistance to people um, acknowledging the enormity of the systemic racial problem we have in this country is because it does not, it, it requires more than five minutes of thought or research, right? Like well, and just, it puts you in a place of great discomfort. Correct. Correct. I mean, all, yes, all of those things are true. And you can't just say like, well, I, I love everybody. So that's my stand. I mean, like, that's fantastic. Lots of everybody are still dying. <laughs> so you're going to have to figure out a way to, to make a, you know, to figure out what your personal ethical responsibility is in that. And with, you know, I mean, I'm very formed and very grateful for the time I spent seminary studying with Ellie Wiesel. And, you know, I love everybody often says like, please, I'd like to be neutral. And I mean, neutrality then empowers the system, not those who are being crushed by the system. And so, you know, it just, it takes a level of commitment, like for, especially for white people, like to learn the enormity about the history of our country that we've never known and, and to really do deal with the cognitive dissonance of thinking, I like, I thought I was an expert in America and now I learn that I'm a beginner, like a stunted beginner, like that requires just a, a lot of intentional effort and, and not immediate results. So like, it's just, I mean, I just think it matters why we're doing it. Like if we're altering the format because we think, you know, we're, I mean, yeah, like I, there's nothing sacred about a sermon. It just has been the way that people have presented the gospel for all these years. So as much as I love to preach, like I get that, but if it's just like, well, people can only handle this super, you know, you know, these really, people can only drink milk. Like we've just decided that we can't, we can't, I mean, teach what is mature. Um, that's a problem. And I think for too long, churches have just, you know, infantilized their members and thought like, you know, to the extent that spiritual maturity is for anyone, it's for the pastors and the missionaries and the professionals and everybody else can just show up for their feel good talk and give their money and we'll get on with it. And that's just crap. And I think the mainline church is particularly guilty of that because somehow our deep reverence for like the academy and academically training our pastors has in a perverse way led to this idea that, you know, people who have not been through these institutions are not capable of chewing meat. And that's just a stupid lie straight from the pit of hell. Like, well, that touches on part of what I'm struggling with. Um, and that is, you know, as a person who's had a certain level of academic training, I am okay with um, being alone in a room with books or screen, not needing 
an incredible amount of interaction. And I know that there are people in the congregation I serve that are not wired that way. It's like the heartbeat of their sense of spiritual life is the connection they have with other people. Yeah. And now that that's taken away, um, or, or at least changed dramatically, video worship doesn't do it for them. Video Bible study, video meetings, there, there, there's a, um, there, there's a heart hunger. There's a, I know at some level, as hard as I'm working in this season, it's just not meeting some needs that are in the congregation I serve. And well, I, think, I mean, like, I do think there are some people who need to have enlightenment, like conversationally, right? I mean, like, I do think it's fair mm-hmm. to say that there are some people who it just needs to be more um, relational and more interactive. And so I, I think that's legit. But I mean, that takes more time, not less. Absolutely. Well, I'm thinking, okay, so if we experimented with this kind of talk show format, how might I help people interact with one another and not just me? And how might I use a short segment to really communicate um, something other than milk, right? Um, for people to interact with and well, um, well one model that I think I heard like Bruce Ray's child talk about is like using zoom in that way and using zoom breakout rooms in exactly that way so like mm-hmm. you as the host would have like a five minute chunk and then you have like a discussion question and then you send people to breakout rooms and like you know it's just the magic of like whoever you end up with and then you, you know, just sort of go around the circle and answer that question. And then after a set amount of time, you bring everybody back and then you do the next chunk of teaching and then people go back out to their rooms, but they just have very specific, um, like very clear, manageable, um, you know, guide, a guidance about what they're going to do in that room. And then just, it's just that format of like, you know, common content in the main space and then flipped out to the Zoom rooms for interactive. And which is which is beautiful because A, most people will process an idea or a concept on a deeper level if they not don't just hear it, but also mm-hmm. say it and talk about it. And then B, it's it's relational, right? So people mm-hmm. are actually then interacting with one another and not just with with you. So it's just one more huge paradigm shift, both a technical and an adaptive challenge for us, because that's just a different kind of thing to prepare. And like, and I in no way think that's unfaithful. I think that's deeply faithful. I just think, I mean, I also just feel like exhausted. Yes. yes. <laughs> so, yes. So it's just hard. Like, I, I mean, there are just some things that I'm like, oh, there's, a, you know, some folks, I mean, not as a necessarily, I, whatever, there's some people in the church that we're going to read um, how to be an anti-racist together, more, just more in a like, it's a big book and it's helpful just to kind of have some accountability. Is that the book and, by Joseph Barnt? No, that's an, the other Kendi book. Okay. Um, and, and I just am like, 
you know, I just need to like pick the time and rally the troops and decide how we're going to do it. And I'm like, this is not a hard task. And yet I just am like, oh, like I just am exhausted. And I don't say that in any like poor me kind of way. Like, I just think that right now everyone is exhausted. And yet, I mean, this season really matters. And so like, I think it's really important to be intentional about rest, but also intentional about fighting, fighting through, um, you know, and I, I suspect that a lot of people are like me in that, like, I'm exhausted. So I feel like I'm behind. So I don't really rest. And so then I never Mm -hmm. like, you know, so it's just kind of a vicious cycle where, you know, a, a clear teaching on Sabbath and the yoke of Jesus and some accountability in a spiritual community can go a long way to helping people experience the abundant life that Jesus has for us, which is a, not just a gift, but B, I don't know, actually um, the way being human works better mm-hmm. <laughs> because maybe Jesus is an expert at being human, not just because of his incarnate life, but because he was there at the beginning when all things were made and nothing was made without any whatever. So, sorry. <laughs> Rant finished. <laughs> um. Well, did you say what know. was astonishing you? I did nothing. <laughs> Can I just be honest? Nothing. I mean, like, I, I suppose the only thing I really could say is, and this isn't a happy astonishment at all. Like, I am astonished that school is going to start in less than six weeks and oh. no one knows how or why. And I am astonished. And this is just part of my mental, emotional, spiritual exhaustion is like people, like just voices are diametrically opposed about like, this is safe and people who say otherwise are just like destructive idiots. And then other people saying like, send your kids to school and they'll die. And anyone who says otherwise is a, you know, malicious, whatever. And, and I mean, depending on the last thing I've done, I, I, I can honestly find both arguments compelling. <laughs> so like, mm-hmm, it's a rare mm-hmm like of, of, I mean, this is not always a good thing, but like, it's rare that I don't have a strong opinion about what is right in everything, like in my own life, in the government, in like what the contestant on Miss America should be wearing. I mean, like I always have an opinion at to a fault. And I find it extraordinary that we're six weeks away from this, this huge thing that my children are, are deeply, deeply impacted either physical health or, you know, you know, social, emotional wellness, like the stakes could not be higher. And I feel totally, I mean, my, not alone. I mean, my husband and I will navigate this together, but it just feels crazy that I, I don't, I, I, I don't know who to look at in terms of crafting a path that, that feels reasonable. And I, and I, you know, I, I feel like the future of public education in our country is at stake. And that is um, deeply terrifying to me because I think public education is just matters on, on every level. So anyway, like, on, honestly, like that, I just can't, I can't believe that there's so much uncertainty in the world. Like, I just can't believe. And I suppose like they're always I mean, there always has been and always will be, but there's usually just sort of a veneer of institutions that 
you know, and authorities that you can trust. And I just feel like all of that is being just stripped away and everybody's on their own. And that is inherently exhausting. And I, I think, you know, when I am sort of thinking theologically that, I mean, that's okay because um, I understand where my hope is and what, you know, but when you just are like, whatever, just, you know, listening to the radio or trying to pick up before dinner, it's just, it's hard to think theologically 24 hours a day and it's really (laughs) overwhelming and thinking theologically doesn't really um, make me less wary of the future. It just makes me understand that this, that this is not, um, that, that these seasons are very much normal um, for God's people in the biblical story. And so like, it's not out of the major story. I don't question God being at work in the world at all. I just, um, you know, I've just never lived through a time where there's this, this level of visceral uncertainty. And, and this is to me, you know, I lived in, in, I lived in Boston after 9-11. Um, we were on our honeymoon when 9-11 happened. So, you know, that, you know, because so many of the flights came out of Boston, a bit like, I know, obviously anybody who was alive in those days understands how much, just how much anxiety was happening. And I mean, and I remember, I I have very detailed memories of like walking home after church, like to our apartment and like looking at, um, rhododendron bushes and seeing the buds on the bushes and really wondering, just really wondering if, if I, if, if, if they would bloom, like, or, or mm-hmm. if some kind of, you know, cause in the very beginning of those days, there was just all of this talk about secondary attacks and I mean, like just no one knew anything. Um, and, but I still didn't feel just as fundamentally shaken as I do in, in these days. And again, like, I don't feel shaken in my, my faith or trust in the Lord. I just, this, there's just so much uncertainty and so much change and so much ambiguity. I'm astonished at it. Um, And I'm not questioning it, but I just, it, 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 you just have to stop and wonder. Yeah, and um, helps you think about people who live with that um, kind of uncertainty most of their lives because Correct. of, um, you know, finances, where they live on the planet or whatever. There, there are people for whom what we're going through is, that's just life. That's just the hard life that they're living. Right. And uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I just think, um, whatever. I mean, this is veering off of the scope of this podcast, but I, you know, I just think, I mean, I, I referenced earlier that I studied with Ellie Zell for three years. And so we often, I mean, like, it's just three years about like collapse of societies, what happens <laughs> to people in a failed state, like, and how rebuilding happens. Right. And Happy I, stuff. <laughs> Right. And so I'm just saying, like, to find yourself in a moment where I'm like, school is starting in six weeks, and I don't know if it will, or if I can send my, like, that's just not ever anything that I 
expected to experience. And, you know, and maybe like, I mean, I also have a problem with hybridization of the gospel in America, right? So like, why in the world is that? I mean, that's not outside of the, the biblical narrative at all. It's just, you, you grow up thinking um, my life will be pretty much the same and Jesus will be an enhancement. And that's, mm. that's not, that's not biblical. Um, and that's not, you can't live that way. Ultimately, um, you need a piece that passes understanding, not a piece that vibes with your understanding. I don't know. Mm. We're going to give a super cheery podcast tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just, just keeping it real over here. But, um, I was say the reality is this is just where a lot of people are. It's yeah. hard right now. People are tired. Um, I started the week um, preparing a sermon on a particular text, um, thinking I'm going to challenge the congregation. We're going to step up and write. We're going to do. We're going to go. Let's go. Charge congregation. And... I got to mm, the end of my study um, yesterday, last night, as a matter of fact, and thought, no, this is not what God wants me to preach this week. Yeah. I had a conversation with just a few members of our, well, it was with our worship team. And I just did a check-in with them. How are you doing? Everyone is tired. Everyone is struggling, not only right. with, COVID and um, uh, racial justice issues, but also with, you know, a sister who has cancer, who's in the hospital, yeah. um, you know, a girlfriend who is struggling with chemo treatments, um, an elder who um, is struggling with vision issues. And I mean, just life is happening and, um, I thought for this week, okay, no, we're going to set this sermon aside, and yeah. this week is going to be about encouraging folks, um, because truth be told, I need that as well, and so yeah. what we're talking there's about a, is just real. There's a great um, scene. I really like the book Gilead by um, Marianne Robinson, although I haven't read it in years, so I hope I would still like it if I went back to it. I really loved it when I read it 10 or 12 years ago. Um, but it it is kind of this um, memoir that a pastor who is who is nearing the end of his life just I mean he just knows that I think he's in his eighties and he is he has a he he married very late in life and so he has just just this child who's very young um, like five or six and so the whole book is like a series of letters that he's writing to his child just kind of knowing that probably by the time his son is old enough to hear the things that he wants to tell him he won't be there to tell them. And there's this one scene in the book that's really just sticks with me where he is thinking back over his, his life and his ministry. And I mean, this is set quite a while ago. And he, he just remembers being a young pastor and preaching during, I think this, the civil war and an influenza <laughs> outbreak. And he just talks about like, he, he was so on fire um, with, with this vision and, you know, a charge, but just like what you're saying. And he says, he looks back now and he realizes, you know, there were, you know, there were maybe six women in the congregation who, who were faithful enough to go there. And they all were just so heavily burdened with, you know, children fighting and 
you know, and loved ones dying. And he just looks back and thinks, you know, what I really, I, I should not have burdened them with further responsibility in that moment. They, what they needed um, was a word of, of a revelation of God's inexplicable, undeserved providence and peace. Like that's mm. what we need in this moment is to say everything around us that we have falsely, you know, set our bearings by is really being exposed as flawed and passing away. And it's one thing to know that in theory, and it's another thing to just sort of yeah. well, and, and ultimately that will be for our good, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, that's the revelation of scripture. So like, it can be hard to believe and, and that's mm-hmm. okay. I mean, it's okay if people have fear and anxiety or even despair and dread and looking at the future, but it is still our point to say, I'm not telling you this, so that it'll change your feeling. I mean, if it does, that's great. <laughs> but also just like, no matter how you're feeling, this is the witness of scripture that, um, that these things that are oppressing us, that we don't feel like we have any hope of meaningfully reforming that we, we we both abhor and cling to they're passing away and the kingdom of god is among us and mm-hmm. it is god who's bringing it to completion not us and we have hope in what god is doing as we continue to engage as the spirit leads us to engage um so yeah i'm 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 with that um so I'm glad you're preaching a word. I'm not preaching this week. We're having a guest preacher come in and, and, and I know for a fact he's bringing fire. So oh, I all right. am, am grateful for that. And I'm trusting the Lord's timing in that. And, um, and, and I think it'd be a really powerful um, thing for the congregation. Well, I'm this Sunday, I'm simply preaching that old familiar Sunday school story of David and Goliath. Um, nice. Yeah, well, it's 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 a story, you know, whether you grew up in church or not, it is a story yeah. that inspires. It is a story um, that, um, at least for those of us um, who are people of faith, encourages trust in the Lord in the face of overwhelming circumstances. But and- I know you enough to know... That you're going to do your signature move at the end of the sermon and you're going to say you are not david well yeah you're going to say jesus is a better david right yes absolutely yes but i'm also going to use david as an example of right so you got to trust God's help in in the midst of these overwhelming circumstances. You can't, um, you got to ignore some voices telling you, you can't do, you can't do, you can't do. Um, So I'm, I'm excited about offering a word of encouragement to our church family and also just to my own soul. Um, As I've started looking at the text last night, um, there was a kind of, um, a, a refreshing. It's like, oh yeah, I I need this as as simple as it is. Like I need this right now. Maybe next week we'll do the challenging sermon, but this week it's yeah. I need to be encouraged once again to face what's in the valley, knowing that God is greater and the greater David has already come to defeat the greater Goliath. And um, as 
challenging, as hard, as painful as this moment is, um, the, the kingdom of God will will arise. The kingdom of God will have the the final victory. And uh, right. And in this moment, when the giant seems so prevalent, and the battle seems so ridiculously weighted against us, to be able to say, you know, we we live for such a time as this, and yes. we have to try. And, Not and, with our pockets, but the God who brought us to this to this place of confrontation. Yeah, we don't giants. Like that's not what we do. One of the um, the, the the great um, contrasts that I've been sitting with this week is that on the one hand, we have a president right now who traffics in racism, who yep. um, who uses racial animosity, tension for his own benefit. And even in that, right, even in that, this this unashamed racism here in this county where I live, some white teenager who just graduated from high school said, you know what, I have a problem that our school mascot is the rebels. And I think that needs to end. And he says, I don't understand how we can ask black athletes to go out on the field under this banner. This this makes no sense to me. Not only does it not make sense, it's absolutely wrong. And so he started this campaign and just a few days ago, the the mascot was changed. That is yeah. incredible to me. And so it, we were saying last week that, you know, birthing is hard. Birthing yeah. is painful. Yeah. And so even in this season, like I am, I'm amazed that when I see clips of protesters, you see so many white people. Like if you watch the PBS series, Eyes on the Prize and the marches, marches from yeah. the civil rights movement, there are a few white people in that, right. but these protests, like something is happening so that there, there's just a, a, a critical mass of white people who see, who at, at some level understand what's happening. And that is encouraging. Still, yeah. um, still Goliath is, <laughs> is in the land. However, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I see some some hopeful signs. You've muted your mic. No, I didn't. I'm not muted. <laughs> you, you're, now you're not. Okay. I was. I just. I'm thinking of. Don't cut that out. Like it's whatever. We're done. <laughs> but um, I'm thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That there are just times when you're like you know, our God will save us, but even if not, right. I mean, this just, it, that we still, we still worship the God, um, who delivered our ancestors. Like we still worship the God who is on the side of the oppressed and calling the oppressor to judgment. Like that is just, you know, that it just, it matters. Like I, I am grateful for this moment even and and even 
if it doesn't bear fruit in the way that I want to see it bear fruit. It doesn't, it doesn't change the goodness of this moment um, that, that not only, you know, that, that multiple people are rising up and saying like, no, no, this is not okay. Um, and so that, that really matters. Like I didn't get, and I think that's America, right? Like what's the point if it's not going to bear this kind of immediate result, right? <laughs> but the kingdom says there's just value in righteousness regardless of what the short-term outcome is. Yeah, I think about um, the the governor of Alabama, right? The 60s, um, George Wallace, right? Yep. So segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation and forever. That right, and so and that's where he stood. And his granddaughter. Do you know about his granddaughter? No, I don't know about his granddaughter. I, I was just thinking, and he, it, wh- where is he now? He's he's gone, and. It, it is the same for all of these kind of racist tyrants. Anyway, tell it's me about his granddaughter. His, it's either his granddaughter or his daughter who has recently become a public figure. And I can't remember any of the details, but basically just saying like, either my father or my grandfather was wrong. And mm. so like using her legacy to say like, you know, I understand where my ancestor stood and also I'm saying that, you know, the tide has turned. And I, I just think that that's really, really powerful that, I mean, again, like that's just the clear gospel message of like things that seem weak are actually strong and things that seem like they're going to last forever actually don't. And that is just the, you know, the subversive hidden message of the cross, which is why, you know, we sort of in these days can continue to I mean, can lament and can continue to cry out how long, oh Lord, and nothing about it is okay. But you can also continue to get up every day and say, even if it doesn't seem like it's going to have effect, I'm I'm going to shout what I need to shout and I'm going to walk where I need to walk and I'm going to stand where I need to stand. And, you know, I mean, like I think your passage about David, you know, even if he had gone into the Valley of Ella and gotten squished by Goliath, his actions would still have been right, right? Like he wasn't, he wasn't faithful because he prevailed. Um, mm. You know, he was faithful because he was faithful. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and you, you, even if he had gone in there and, and gotten squished by Goliath, that wouldn't have been a sign he was wrong. I mean, he wasn't mm-hmm. wrong to say, this is, you know, this is what God's people are calling us to do. So I, yeah, I think that's what you're saying. And it would not have ended God's work of establishing a people, establishing a kingdom, and God's whole redemptive plan. And and if we believe in Jesus, then what we say is, I know the end of the story. Mm -hmm. So no matter what act it happens to be when I bow out on this earth, I know which kingdom will stand eternally. That's what I believe. And so I'm not going to align myself with a kingdom that I believe is passing away. I'm not going to do it, even if it costs me my life. I'm not going to do it because I ultimately already know where the victory lies. And I think, you know, regardless of what I feel when I, you know, I'm like, I'm not an idiot. Um, and I don't believe that Jesus mean, loves us. So that means we always get the closest parking lot spot. I mean, like, I think bad things can happen to God's faithful people, not in spite of their faithfulness, but sometimes because of their faithfulness. And yet still, we know what kingdom we believe in and what kingdom we stand for. Um, so I think anyway. we're going to, I think we're going to adopt you as a black preacher. 
because you, <laughs> you just you've just done the you know traditional you know black church thing, which is okay. Let's let's tell the truth about how bad things are. Let's really and let's lament that and let's feel it. Let's let's have this this moment where we just feel the yuck of what we're in, but then let's go to the cross, let's go to the empty tomb, let's remind ourselves of the victory, because both things are true. True. And right. we, we don't want to um, uh, get out of balance and, and stay in either place. Right. And I just think the reality is like, I'm not God and I don't have the power to change the world unless God decides to change things through me and God doesn't work for me. So like my power is limited, but nothing on earth has the power to decide where, which kingdom I stand by, right? Like I don't control the outcomes, but nothing on earth has the power to make me pick a side except for me. And so I think that, that, I mean, that's the really, the place of deep peace and meaning of these days is because, and I do think like, again, that's the Americanization of like, well, why do it if it won't work? I mean, that's just- Pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, then that's just not like the kingdom of God is many things, but pragmatic, <laughs> it ain't it. So that, I mean, that's just really helpful. And to link back, it takes more than five minutes to get there. I mean, in like, not necessarily long stories. I mean, Jesus didn't tell long stories, but he had a lifetime of walking around with people. And that's, you know, and I know that we can't actually walk around with people, but we can find ways to do life together, even as we're separated. So listen, this never fails. No one knows this, but we always get started. And I'm like, I don't have anything to say. So let's just do the really short one this time. And then, (laughs) then whatever. So we've talked way, way, way too much. If you're still listening, bless you. And we're so grateful. And I am wrapping this up. So thank you so much for listening. Um, I really recommend you check out Derrida Presbyterian Church. You can Google it. It is in Charlotte, North Carolina and get to their website. You can listen to Yolanda's messages on Podbean, although he uploads them months at a time. So if you go there and the last one's in November, do not despair. What you What's there from November is good. And, you know, he'll catch up. Or you can go to their YouTube channel and you could see what they're doing right now, which is current because that's how they're worshiping. And if you want to know more about The Grove, you can search thegrovecharlotte.org on the Google and it will take you to our website and you can listen um, to messages from The Grove on iTunes, which are fairly current. And you can go to our Facebook page, The Grove Charlotte, and see our whole worship services in the videos and they are now, uh, we're, we're recording them in different spaces and places. So they're probably a little bit easier to watch um, if you are new to the Grove. So that would be awesome if you wanted to check them out. Um, so thanks for listening. Yolanda's gonna say goodbye. No, Bye it's everybody. Not. It's just gonna leave me like I'm crazy. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>